Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. We're starting out today in Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. And let's go to verse 43. Now this is Jesus talking. And this is what we've come to know in the church as the Sermon on the Mount. How many are familiar with that? And so it's a sermon where Jesus was talking, and really it was a very subversive message. He was basically saying, you have heard it said, but I say to you. Now, how many know that a lot of people would call Jesus a rabbi, a teacher? Do you know that there were other rabbis and teachers in this time from the temple? And so they would each have their own way of interpreting the scriptures. And what they would call that, their, their way of interpretation would be called their yoke. And so you would say, Rabbi so-and-so, I've taken his yoke upon me, and I'm following him. Do you remember when Jesus said, if you're tired and you're weary, to come on to me? What do you say? My yoke is easy, my burden is light. This is Jewish talk. How many know Jesus was a Jew? So he was saying to them, my yoke may be a little different. In fact, I'm going to say some things, and he'll start out in this first verse by saying, you have heard that it was said, or you've heard it said before, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. So they quote from the Torah. They would start with this line, you have heard that it was said, or you heard it said, and then they would quote from the Torah, and then they would maybe quote from someone who was an authority in the scriptures who's come through time. But Jesus does something very subversive here. Verse 44, he says, but I tell you this. Now for us, we read this like, yeah, well, Jesus is saying it. We trust Jesus. But at this time, at this point, to say, yeah, I know what you have read and you've heard in the Torah, but let me tell you how I see this. You've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute. That word also could be translated harass or despitefully use you. So Jesus is saying some strong words. He's saying, listen, I know you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I'm saying something new. I'm saying to love your enemy. I'm saying to pray for those who despitefully use you, those who harass you, those who persecute you. Can I get an amen? Amen. It's a little silent because that's not the easiest thing to live, right? The Sermon on the Mount wasn't easy. What Jesus was doing was he was trying to say, okay, guys, you've had the law. The law had a purpose. It had a time. It soon will come to completion. I will fulfill it. I want to move you from a place of outward religious doing to inward heart doing, where, where now you see things differently because, you know what, it's easy to love your neighbor and your best friend and those people you like, but what about your enemies? And he was trying to say something because Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. Jesus came to show us who the Heavenly Father, who God really was. In fact, when he said, call him Father, they're like, what? Father? And so he was trying to show us, this is the new way to live. We live from our heart. And because you're an offspring of God, the Apostle Paul says, in him we live and move and have our being, you are actually naturally set up for this, but you have to awaken to it. What is that? Loving your enemy. How many are doing a pretty good job on that with no show of hands? (laughs) Listen, I've had my times, right? So today we'll continue in our series at the movies. Now we started this last week. If you get a chance, you can go on the website. Go to the podcast to check that out. But it's called At the Movies, and we take some ideas from different movies. This week, we're taking some ideas from the movie Overboard. How many have heard of that movie? 
Now, this is really a reboot from the 1987 movie with the same title. And it starred, I think it was Kurt Russell and Goldie Hawn. Have you seen that? And so this is kind of a reversal because remember, Goldie Hawn was the selfish, rich person and he was the, you know, the worker, the blue collar guy and they had this falling out and then she ends up, well, we won't go through it. I don't want to spoil the 1987 movie, which you probably haven't seen yet. But in the new one, they've, they've flipped it around. So you have Kate. She's a single working class mother of three who's hired to clean this luxury yacht. How many would like to have a luxury yacht? Not me. It'd be too expensive. Uh, people who have fishing boats complain about how much it takes to keep up the fishing boat. So forget the yacht. But it belongs to this guy named Leonardo. Leonardo was a, not the Ninja Turtle, but this Leonardo, the selfish, spoiled, wealthy Mexican playboy. And so after he unjustly fires Kate, Leonardo falls off the boat and he wakes up and he has no memory of who he is. He doesn't remember anything. And so to get payback, Kate shows up at the hospital and convinces this confused Leonardo that they're married. Yeah. So then the story goes on, and I don't want to spoil the, the, the rest of the plot, but it's this idea I see here today of payback. Have you ever been in a situation where you thought, hmm, some payback would really feel good right now? Maybe this has happened in your own life. Not that you had a yacht or you were fired from cleaning a yacht. But have you been in a situation in life where someone did you wrong? Amen? Anybody? Am I the only one? Because I've been done wrong quite a bit. Pretty confused, pretty irritated about it, wondering, like, why is this happening to me? You ever been there? In fact, I've had situations that, honestly, I'm not even comfortable talking about because I'm not proud of my reactions. (laughs) I had a situation one time where I literally got into my truck And I headed over to this guy's house. And all the way there, I'm thinking of all the ways I could put him in the hospital. And that was two weeks ago. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) That was several years ago. But have you ever felt that? Maybe you didn't physically go to it and praise God. You know, in the situation, I I, I reined it in. I I, I came to myself. I came to my senses. But I I literally wanted to wring this guy's neck because he, he lied. He stole from me. And then he lied about me. And so in those situations, is it right for someone to steal from you and then lie about it? Absolutely not. But see, we have to learn to love our enemies. This isn't an easy message, folks. Payback is so easy. I mean, come on, man. I I used to love the the diehards and the paybacks and the takens. Those movies are great because you're like, ooh, they're going to get theirs. Oh, you you just stirred up the hornet's nest. We're like, get them, right? That's just a natural response, especially in America. It's like, oh, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you. But Jesus came and showed us a kingdom that says, we will now repay evil with good. And somehow it's so easy to go, that was a really sweet sermon, Jesus, in the Bible. But this is real life. This is 2018. But let me ask you a question. Do you see any changes in this society when we repay evil with evil? No, because then someone else decides, oh, I'm going to repay evil with evil. And then I'm going to repay evil with evil. And then I'm going to repay evil with evil. When do we come to a point where we say, you know what, I'm going to repay evil with good. It starts in our own life. Amen? Now, I know for some of us this can be unsettling because of our culture, because of payback. I get that. I'm talking about us here and now in our personal space 
How do we start now to live this life that Jesus has called us to? See, when we're wronged in life, we have to face a decision, and here it is. Pay back or pay it forward. Pay back or pay it forward. Now, I understand the idea of pay it forward is if someone does a good deed to you, then you go ahead and pass that along. So what I'm saying is, do we have the stance in life where if you try to get to me or do something to me, I will pay you back? Or do we say, I'm going to forgive, I'm going to walk in peace, and I'm going to live a life where I'm paying it forward? Now, I'm not saying this because I've arrived. But what I'm saying is, in every little situation, when somebody does something to you that is wrong, if you feel wrong, because you know maybe they didn't try to, to wrong you, but maybe you do feel wronged, what do we do in that situation then and there? Do we rely on Jesus Christ? Do we have faith in his peace, his love, his restoration, or do we say, nope, I'm going to live a lifestyle of retribution? The question comes down to this, will I live a life of retribution or restoration? And listen to this, it begins and ends with us. Did you hear that? It begins and ends with us. So let's talk about this today as we talk from the idea of overboard, pay back or pay it forward. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have this morning to look into your word. We want to say this right up front. We trust you. Trusting you is having faith in you. There's times in our life where we struggle. How do we respond in this situation? In my heart of hearts, I know that I should be paying it forward, not paying it back, but it's not easy. And as a loving father, you are wooing us by your love to choose a different way. To choose the way that you've already created inside of us. To go against the grain of what our mind is telling us to do. So we choose today to trust you, have faith in you, that you have our back, and you will take all that evil and turn it into good in our lives. And so we thank you for this word this morning. We'll walk out of here in freedom. We'll be able to release some things that maybe we didn't even realize we were holding on to. And at the end of the day, we say, we trust you. And we thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. You know, offense is a, is a big thing, isn't it? See, we can take the offense and we can let it ruin us, or we could refuse to allow it to change our course in life. How many know God has a course for our life? It's a good course. It's a good way to go. He lets us make decisions. He lets us make choices. But he's always speaking to us in our heart of hearts and saying, hey, let's go this way this time. This is so much better. Trust me. And so it's a life of trust. It's a life of faith. Amen. I was talking to Pastor Chris down at uh, Palm Harbor Campus, and uh, he had this really cool analogy. He, he said it's kind of like fruit. Now imagine someone offers you a bad piece of fruit. Now, my kids sometimes will say, oh, I'm hungry, I'm still hungry. I'll say, well, there's the fruit bowl, what do you want? Banana, orange, some strawberries, an apple. I offer them fruit. Now, I would never offer them rotten fruit. But imagine someone offers you bad fruit, nasty, moldy fruit. My daughter, my oldest, my daughter Bianca was watching our younger sons the other day, and, and she texts us a picture, and she says, hey, I found this in the fridge. Do you want me to throw it away? And it was an avocado, which, by the way, is a fruit. Did you know that? If you don't walk away with anything else today, you can say, guess what I learned in church? Avocado's a fruit. Well, she sent this to me. It didn't look like an avocado. It looked like a small uh, rodent had died in my fridge. I mean, it literally had fur on it. And I'm telling you, uh, I've never really liked the furry avocados. I prefer the, the smooth ones. And so, uh, of course, my wife, she texts back right away. She goes, just scrape off the top. 
Okay. I think it was a joke. You shouldn't scrape off the top. Don't go say, hey, we learned something new today. We scrape off the top. We can still eat it. You might get sick. But imagine someone offers you this nasty, rotten piece of fruit. Do you have to take it just because it was offered to you? The answer is no. So when someone offers you an offense, when they wrong you, they're saying, here, here's some bad fruit I've just produced from myself. Do you want to take it? Now, we have a decision, right? I mean, have you had a bad experience? I think we all have, right? But it's up to us to either grab that fruit and hold on to it. I even like to go a little further and say and bite into it, bite into that bitter fruit and let it go down inside and create bitterness in us. Or we can say, no, I don't receive this fruit. I'm just going to let it go. Now, what I'm not saying is that it's okay for people to wrong us. I'm not saying it's okay for someone to do something. Some of us have gone through some horrendous experiences, things that, that aren't excusable, things that are wrong. And we have a justice system. And, I, and I, I, I try to believe in that system. It doesn't always work perfectly, but I believe this, that when someone wrongs somebody, when somebody commits a crime, when they hurt somebody in that way, that shape, that form, what they need to be is they need to be removed from society. But Why? To be rehabilitated, to be restored. Okay, do you follow me? Our system hasn't done the best job. We just harden criminals, release them, and then it gets worse. Well, the system should be, we're removing you because love doesn't allow you to hurt. Just because I love you doesn't mean you can hurt me. Just because I love you doesn't mean that it's okay to hurt others. We're going to remove you for a time because somewhere in your soul you're warped. There's something not right there. And I say this a lot, but it's, it's true. People don't just wake up one morning and say, you know what, I want to be mean and angry and murderous today. I mean, that's just not how it works. It doesn't, it's not like just something, you know, they say, I don't know what happened, just a switch went off. No, no, the switch was being built for a long time. Something there in their soul wasn't right, and eventually they snap. But again, I don't want us to think that it's okay. Ladies, if you're in an abusive relationship, I don't care if he says he loves you. Love doesn't abuse people. So you need to get out. You need to seek counseling and help, whatever you need to do. Saying you love someone and abusing them is not right. Someone needs to hear that today. That's not right. It's wrong. Okay? Not easy situation. So I'm not excusing the wrongs. But we have a choice to make. When those wrongs come towards us, will we take that rotten fruit and we decide to actually consume it and let it become bitterness in our heart? And then what happens, it starts to destroy us from the inside out. And sometimes we think, you know, I've seen so many movies, I'm like, man, you know, at the end of the movie, they show the guy vindicated because he killed all the people that hurt his family. But they should go a little further and show now the inner turmoil from all the killing. They should show how it made him hard and callous and how he has to deal with these things. Because this is the truth, right? Retaliation isn't the best way. Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who, what, harass you, persecute you, despitefully use you. He goes on to say to turn the other cheek. Just say this with me. Ouch. It's not easy. And I'm not saying it is. We can only do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So we have to depend on him. We have to depend on that relationship with him. And so it's important that we see this because when this happens, maybe you were anticipating a nice piece of, of juicy, luscious fruit and build up expectations only to be let down. But here's the deal. You don't have to get offended at being given bad fruit. 
That's a decision we get to make. Amen. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews tells us this in Hebrews 12 verse 14. He says, try, this word actually is translated pursue, to live peacefully with everyone. Now, these are strong words, so just hold on for a second. Try to pursue to live peacefully with everyone and try to live holy lives. Now, let, let me explain this. If you've been here long enough, you know the word holy means to be set apart. It means to be other, right? So we function in a different way than the world functions. This is what this is saying. So he said, try to live peacefully with everyone. This would include enemies, amen? And try to live holy lives because if you don't, now listen to this, you will not see the Lord. I want to stop us here for a minute because I don't want us to get into fear. What he's not saying is you'll never see the Lord. You won't be with him in eternity in heaven, however you see that. He's not saying if you don't live this perfectly, If you don't love all your enemies, if you're not peaceful, you're done. This word, see, in the Greek means to behold. What he's saying is, when you behold somebody, you have relationship with them, right? He's saying, if you're living outside of the realm of the kingdom and living in the world where instead of peace, you're bringing anger and retribution, instead of living a holy life, you're being just like this world's lifestyle, you can't even see your father, In fact, we could reverse it and say, when you do spend time with your heavenly father, you start to understand his heart towards you, towards humanity, that love and grace he has for us. What happens? It starts to change you into who you truly are. And all of a sudden you start to walk out the peace. You can't do it on your own, folks. The initial response to someone wronging you is to get them back. Am I telling the truth this morning? Have you been there? I still can struggle with that. What, why'd you do that? And it's this instant response. But how do we actually walk out peace? How do we actually live this set-apart, other, holy lifestyle relationship with our Heavenly Father? Because our Heavenly Father shows us who we really, truly are. And he'll say, you can do this because I built you just like me. Isn't that beautiful? Verse 15, he says, make sure that everyone has kindness from God so that bitterness doesn't take root and grow up to cause trouble that corrupts many of you. I love this because he's continuing. He's saying, listen, if you live this way of peace, if you live this holy life, this other life, which is a different response than what we're used to doing, right? It's renewing our mind. That's how we're transformed. He's saying, as you show kindness of God to everyone, what happens? Bitterness won't take root. Because what is bitterness going to do? It's going to tear us down, man. I've been there. I've had roots of bitterness in my life, and man, it is just, it's affected me in ways where, have you ever ran into a bitter person? Have you ever ran into a bitter person who never dealt with the bitterness? And as they get older, it doesn't get better. And they get mean, and they get angry, and and they get into this mode of payback, and you don't even want to be around them. It's just, it feels toxic. And I don't think any of us want to feel that toxic feeling in our own. But sometimes if you're trapped in that, you don't know how to get out, then you get more irritated at yourself for being toxic, which brings more toxicity. And before you know it, you're that person. How many don't want to be that person? It's, so, it's important. So this isn't a threat. This is a promise. He's saying, if you stay focused on me, if you understand who you truly are through the relationship with me, you will walk out peace. You will walk out kindness. And as you do that, guess what? You will not have that root of bitterness grow up within your soul. Because I'm telling you, again, bitterness destroys us. Amen? 
Now, I was thinking about different stories in the Bible that we could look at this morning that, that would help us in this idea of overboard. Do we pay back or do we pay it forward? Now, again, we, we know the answer here, don't we? We know it's better to pay it forward. This should not be a life of payback. Jesus said what? Love your enemy. Pray for those who persecute you. Amen? Now, do we, do we believe the words of Jesus? Do we trust Jesus in this situation? Now, some of us, I know it's quiet because you're like, see, people have already come up in your mind. You're like, I can't release that. I can't let that go. You don't know what this person did to me. You don't know how this person has treated me. I get it. I know how we feel, but I know that we can do this because we can do all things through who? Christ, who what? Strengthens us. It's not up to you to summon up enough courage and strength to release Again, the Apostle Peter says, cast your cares on who? Him, Jesus, the Lord. Why? Because he cares for you and he can take it. His shoulders are broad enough. But for us sometimes, we're like, I don't know if I want to let that go because we think this feels good to fester in this, but eventually it will take you out. And so that's why he encourages us. But there's so many different stories in the Bible uh, that we could look at. But I, I want to look at Joseph. How many are familiar with Joseph? Joseph is a tremendous example of what it looks like to walk out peace and forgiveness. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 37 this morning. And I just want to read a few scriptures here about Joseph because I want to set up the the stage here of, of what Joseph is about to experience in his life. Genesis 37, starting with verse 2. says, this is the story of Jacob. This is Joseph's father, Jacob, who is also called Israel. And he goes on to say, the story continues with Joseph, 17 years old at the time. So here's Joseph. He's just 17 years old. What did he do? He helped out his brothers in herding the flocks. These were his half-brothers, actually, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. Now listen to this. We'll get a little taste of what Joseph's like at 17. It says, and Joseph, I don't know why the writer wrote this. He said, and Joseph brought his father bad reports on them. So here's Joseph. We meet the father. He has brothers. The first thing is, he's a tattletale. Joseph likes to tell on his brothers. Do we have any older siblings in here? Yeah, yeah. Did, did the little bit of bitterness rise up when you heard that? Right? Did you have the little brother and sisters like, ooh, I'm telling mama. Ooh, is that what's happening? Remember that show, What's Happening? Ooh, I'm, t- wow, how old am I? Ooh, I'm telling mom, I'm telling dad. How many of you experienced this? And you're like, you better not or I'll, you know, right, right. Love, just straight love. You better not or else. So here's Joseph. The first thing we see on him is that he is a tattletale. He tells on his brothers. Verse three, Israel, which is also Jacob's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other brothers because he was a child of his old age. And he made him an elaborately embroidered coat. You ever heard of this, this coat of many colors? When his brothers realized that their father loved him more than them, they grew to hate him. Wow. Hate him? I mean, they're supposed to be brothers. And it says they wouldn't even speak to him. That's getting better as we go, right? So here's Joseph. He's a tattletale. His dad shows him favoritism, and his brothers hate him. But it gets better. Look at this. Joseph had a dream. 
When he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Wow, this is wonderful. In fact, he tells them the dream. He says, hey, listen, guys, I ha- there's this dream I had. It was awesome. We were all out in the field gathering bundles of wheat, and all of a sudden, my bundle stood up straight, and your bundle circled around and bowed down to mine. What do you think? Okay, they already hated him because he was a tattletale. They already hated him because he, he was favored more than any others. And he goes, hey, guys, I got a really cool dream to tell you. You guys are bowing down to me. It's cool, isn't it? His brother said, so you're going to rule us? You're going to boss us around? And they hated him more than ever because of his dreams and the way he talked. There's a little side note lesson here. If you have a dream, maybe don't tell everybody about it. Sometimes we need to keep those dreams to ourselves. Talk to our Heavenly Father about it. Thank Him for what we're seeing. Tell someone that we trust who knows our heart. But at 17, I think, I think Joseph was a little immature. Hey guys, guess what? Guess what? It gets better. He had another dream. And he told this one also to the brothers. Hey guys, listen, I had another dream. They're probably like, oh, okay, let's go, dream boy. I dreamed another dream. The sun and the moon and 11 stars bowed down to me. You see where this is going? This isn't getting any better. When he told it to his father and brothers, his father reprimanded him, and he said this, what's with all this dreaming? Am I and your mother and your brothers all supposed to bow down to you? Now his brothers were really jealous. So they're jealous, they're full of hatred towards Joseph, and his father brooded over the whole business. I wanted to set this up today because we got to see what was going on in Joseph's life. Now I'm not going to say it was his fault, We shouldn't hate people, right? His brother should have taken the higher road. But he was a tattletale. He was favored among all the brothers. Uh, You know, he had these dreams. Two dreams were basically like, this is really cool, guys. You're going to bow down and worship me. Isn't that awesome? And they didn't think it was so awesome. They hated him even more. And so we see this scenario here. His brothers hated him. They didn't like that he was favored over them. They didn't like that he was a tattletale and would tell them and they didn't want to hear about these dreams, about him, him having them bow down before him. And how stupid of him to even say that to them, right? So one day, Jacob sends Joseph to find his brothers. They would herd these flocks of sheep, and so they would sometimes have to move around to different you know, areas uh, for the flocks. And so he sends Jacob to check on his brothers in the flocks one day. And it says that they saw him from a distance, And before he reached them, listen to this, they plotted to kill him. Wow, those are really cool brothers, man. Great brothers to have. They wanted to kill him. The hatred so consumed them that they saw him and they went, hey, man, what could we do to kill this boy? That's pretty bad. And it says that they said this, oh, here comes the dreamer. (laughs) That's, That's wild to me that they'd be willing to kill him. So what they did is they threw him into a dry well. Because they said, we don't want to shed innocent blood. So let's just throw him in this dry well, and he can just die that way. That way we don't really have a part in it. Come on, guys, seriously. But then they saw this caravan of Midianites, and they had an idea. So they pulled Joseph out, which, by the way, they had stripped him completely naked. They took that robe off. They're like, you know what? This robe represents our father's favoritism, and we hate this. And so they tore it off him. So they end up selling him to these Midianite merchants as a slave. Wow, say thanks, bro. Appreciate that. 
Talk about hatred. Talk about bitterness that has grown up in their lives. These were his own brothers. So here's the story for dad. They kill a goat. They dip his robe in its blood. And then this is pretty smart. They bring it back to the dad and just say, hey, uh, this looks like Joseph's robe, is it? And with the blood on it, the father automatically comes up with the story in his own mind. They didn't even have to make up a story. He goes, oh my gosh, Joseph has been killed by wild animals. They have ripped him apart. And so the father, Jacob, believes him to be dead. But the brothers knew better. Meanwhile, in Egypt, now, now look what's happening so far in Joseph's life. He's 17 years old. He maybe shouldn't have told those dreams. He's, he's a little cocky. He's a little immature. He's a tattletale. His dad is favoring him. Not really his fault. His brothers hate him, so now they, they plot to kill. Instead of kill, they sell him into slavery. And so meanwhile, in Egypt, the Midianites sold Joseph to Potiphar. Now, if you're not familiar with Potiphar, this is one of Pharaoh's officials and captain of the guard. Well, while he's in Potiphar's house as a servant, Potiphar's wife goes, Ooh, look at this young, strapping Joseph. Mm-hmm. And so she tries to make a pass at him. She tries to seduce him. And he actually was pretty mature. He goes, no, I'm not doing this. Well, in doing the right thing, guess what happens? She lies about him and he gets put into prison. She lies and said, he tried to rape me. He tried to rape me. He spends years in prison for this. Th this is crazy. And so in this process, as, as he's going through this in his head, don't you think that he had to face some type of, of just struggling with bitterness? I've been sold into slavery. I've been wrongly accused. I'm imprisoned. I don't deserve any of this. And even in that process, he had, he had interpreted a couple dreams for a couple other prison mates at the time and was correct. And he says, hey, make sure you tell the king about this, the Pharaoh. And they never did. So nobody was looking out for Joseph. He had a lot to be irritated about. He had a lot to be bitter about. Can I get an amen? So now we fast forward. You know, Joseph ends up being the second most powerful man in Egypt. Second to the Pharaoh. Through this whole process. Now, it didn't come quickly. You know what else happens? His brothers end up coming before him. Didn't know who he was. Looking for food. See, when Joseph interpreted this dream, and I believe the Lord was working all through this, when he interpreted this dream, he basically told Pharaoh, listen, the famine's coming. We need to prepare. So they prepared. They were ready. They became even more wealthy than they were because of this famine. Every nation came to Egypt in order to live. They were literally starving, and his brothers ended up in his very presence. Now, he had an opportunity, didn't he? Have you seen those payback movies? I'm going to get you, sucker. That's what he could have said, right? So here he is, the second most powerful man in Egypt, and his brothers find their way in front of him, and he sees an opportunity to get even, but love wins. And he actually finds a way to forgive and restore his family. I mean, this is a beautiful story. Time after time, he's being betrayed. He's given that bad fruit. We talked earlier about being given bad fruit, right? You don't have to receive that bad fruit. And for years, he deals with, with letting go of this bad fruit, not allowing offenses towards him to take hold and bring bitterness through being sold as a slave, then false accusations, then years of imprisonment. Do you know that when Joseph came to power as the second most powerful man in Egypt, he was 30 years old? 13 years of being wronged. 
How many could go amen to that? 13 years of being wronged. Now, for some of us, we don't know what that's like, but for some of us, my whole life has been a life of being wronged. And I have to consciously make a decision to do what Jesus says by his strength to love my enemies. But it is not easy. 30 years old, 13 years of betrayal, lies, and false imprisonment. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 27 says, Whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. You know what I love about this scripture? It says, do good to those who need it. Do you know who needs good done unto them the most? Those who you would say need it the least. Because, like I said, people don't just wake up one morning and go, oh, I'm full of hatred, vengeance, I'm murderous, I want to kill somebody, I want to pay someone back. It's years and years of being wronged. It's years and years of a false, angry God being presented to you, someone that, that you think is God. Well, Pastor, what about the payback? So Jesus is going to ask us to do something that he doesn't have to do? Jesus says, love your enemies, but my enemies are going to get theirs. It doesn't make sense. See, we have to read scripture through the lens of Jesus. I know this is tough. We have to read the scriptures through the lens of Jesus. Do you understand me? Jesus came to show us the heart of the Father. He says, I only say what I hear the Father say. I only do what I see the Father do. And when Jesus says these things, it's the very heart of God saying, love your enemies because I do. The scriptures say, while we're enemies of God, what did he do? He died for us. And I love that Paul clarifies that because he says, when you were enemies of God in your minds. See, we thought he was our enemy. We thought that there was a separation. And, and Paul's awakening us to this through believing what Jesus did and what Jesus showed, saying, listen, you were never God's enemy. He's always loved you. He's always pursued you. He's never separated from you. He wants you to awaken to who you are. The Apostle Paul says on Mars Hill, we are all the offspring of God. In him we live and move and have our being. Do you believe it? You might. Others don't. So are we presenting the right face of God. This is very important for us. But whenever you possibly can, do good to those who need it. And again, I believe those who need it the most are those who usually wrong us. They need to awaken to who they are. They're operating differently than God has prepared, that blueprint, that purpose on their life. They just don't know who they are. That's why the scriptures say, awaken to your righteousness. A big religious word meaning right relationship. God loves you. He cares about you. And when you allow him to love you, to show grace towards you, 1 John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us, right? He always initiates. We simply respond. As we respond to that in relationship, suddenly we start to act out of who we truly are. And we embrace that blueprint, that purpose, the way he's always seen us. And we're like, I am a son and a daughter of God. And now I get to choose to walk this direction. So in the end, Joseph refuses to allow anger and resentment to win and allows forgiveness to restore and turn evil into good. What did Joseph do? Through God's love in his heart, he allows God to change the outcome. 13 years of being wronged, and here he is now, 
the second most powerful man in the world. And what does he do? He chooses to show grace and not pay back. To show love and not fear and hatred. This is what he says in Genesis 50, verse 20. He actually goes back to bury his father who had died, and they have this conversation with the brothers. The brothers are in fear because they're thinking, Joseph, man, it's, it's over. Uh, we're, we're burying our father, and we're probably going to be laying right next to him in a matter of hours. And he says this. He says, you plotted evil against me, but God turned it into good. He says, in order to preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what had happened. This is beautiful. Do you see Joseph's heart? He admits to them, he says, you plotted evil against me. You did wrong, but God, I trusted God to turn things around, and he turned that evil into good. Why? To preserve the lives of many people who are alive today because of what had happened. Because of Joseph being where he was, because of him being able to interpret the dream, now Egypt literally could save the world from starvation, and Joseph had this key hand in it, and he saw God looking back through every moment. Not that God caused it to happen, but God turned what was meant for evil into good. Man, this is beautiful. Can we trust God this much? He chose to have faith in God's restoration rather than faith in his own personal retribution. I'm telling you, it's not easy. But, but when we walk this out, it changes everything. He continues this conversation. He says, you have nothing to fear. I will take care of you and your children. So he reassured them with kind words that touched their hearts. What a beautiful story, amen? This brings us full circle to Matthew chapter 5. Again, in verse 43, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you this, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Look at this in verse 45, he goes on to say, In this way you show that you are children of your Father in heaven. Now, now listen, again, these are promises, not threats. He's not saying that if you don't walk this out perfectly every day in every way, you're not a child of God. He's saying because you walk this out, people will say, wow, that is a child of God. Why? Because this is how God operates. In love of enemy. Praying for those who persecute us. Praying simply talking to God, right? When you get in those situations where, man, I'm telling you, you have every right because what was done was not just. The hardest thing to do is to turn and talk to God. But when you do, he will reassure you, I've got this. I care about you. See, my biggest struggle was, but the person's getting over on me. How many have ever felt that? This person's getting over on me. If I just let this go, they're going to get over on me. Maybe they'll do it again. Listen, if you have to remove yourself from a relationship or a place where you get hurt, that's okay. I said it earlier, love doesn't allow us to be hurt. I love you, so hurt me. Uh uh-uh. Get out of those relationships. Love from a distance, it's okay. But what decision will we make? Will we show the world that we are children of our Father in heaven? It says this, He, talking about our Father, makes His Son rise on people, whether they are good or evil. He lets rain fall on them, whether they're just or unjust. Verse 46, if you love those who love you, do you deserve a reward? And He says, even the tax collectors do that. 
Are you doing anything remarkable if you welcome only your friends? He says, everybody does that. But look at this, verse 48. This is key. That is why you must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I used to read this years ago and think, okay, I've really got to try to be perfect. I, I, I want to be perfect. And a little later, I'm like, well, we can't be perfect. So he was just setting the bar too high for us. But then you look up the word perfect, and it simply means in the Greek to be full grown, to be mature, and to be complete. What he's saying is, in order for you to walk out this love of enemy, in order for you to pray for those who persecute you, who harass you, who despitefully use you, you can only walk this out. To be in a place where you show kindness to those who are unkind to you, where you're loving to those who are unloving, where you're gracious to those who are ungracious, how do we get to that place? Through maturity. And in this relationship with God, as we grow in maturity, you know, here's what happens when, when you say, okay, God, I'm here. I'm an open book. I desire a relationship. I want to know more about who you are. I, I want to experience your love and your grace in my life. All of a sudden, it opens you up to discover who you truly are. And as you discover who you truly are, what happens? Maturity transpires. You become full grown. Look at Joseph. He was 17. He was immature. It was the way that he said it. I mean, when I was 17, I was arrogant, I was haughty, I was sarcastic. I'm, I almost lost so many relationships because of that part of me. But honestly, you know, I was like that. I've discovered later because I was insecure. And if I could put up this big front, then I was okay. I didn't believe in myself. I didn't even love myself. And so these actions were from that. But look at from age 17 to age 30, what transpired in Joseph's life. Did he have to go through those things? Absolutely not. But he did. And as he went through them, he chose to trust God. And he came to this fully mature place in his life, this place of completion. And that's our journey. So you might think, you know what? I've already messed up today. I've already had a situation where I should have turned the other cheek. I should have went a different way and I didn't. That's okay. You know what's so cool is God's okay with the journey and your journey with him is different than my journey. It might take longer to get to this place or that place. It's okay. God's not in a hurry. It's like, well, my kids, you know, they were the most beautiful thing. I never knew I could experience as much love as I, I did the day they were born. And when I saw them, I, was, I mean, it just does something to you. And then when you have another kid, you're like, am I going to be able to love this one as much? And somehow there's more love. Like there's just so much love towards this child. And you love everything they do when they roll over for the first time or when they almost make it and almost make it. And we all get our cameras out and we're so excited. And someone could look at it and go, big deal. They can roll over. This is my child. Shut your mouth. First time they crawl. First time they walk. We celebrate every move. And every child is different. And I never once, thank God, said, well, your brother was walking a little earlier than this. What's your problem? Because they're all on different journeys. We're all sons and daughters of God. We're, we're all on this journey, but it's a little different for each of us. So embrace that journey. Embrace that time with your heavenly father. Allow him to love you. Allow him to love the, the darkness. Allow him to love the hell out of you. Because some of us have these, 
these deep things inside of us that we are not even aware of at times, but as the Holy Spirit shows those to us, it's not to bring shame to our life. It's to say, listen, you believe the lie about yourself. Let me expose that lie to truth. Let me heal that area, and now we can move on. And now you're just a little bit more whole, restored, perfected, mature. Isn't that beautiful? So as we walk out of here today, really, here's the one thing that I would ask us to consider. Let's choose today to pay it forward rather than pay it back. Amen? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace. You are so good to us. Maybe a lot of us here today have not experienced that love in times past, and so maybe we don't see ourselves like you see us, and we need to get to that place where when we look at you, we see ourselves. It's in you that we live and move and have our being. We are your sons and daughters, and we need to come to a place where we say, yes, I believe. Yes, I have faith that this is true. I thank you that the spirit of Jesus, Christ in me, the hope of glory is living his life in and through me. The Holy Spirit is with me. He made me a promise. He would never leave me. He would never forsake or abandon me. You're not going anywhere, Lord. I thank you. Even on my worst days, you are there to say, I love you. I believe in you. Andrew, that's not who I made you to be. You're better than that. Let me show you who you truly are. But it's up to me to say, I trust you, Father. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you say, you know, I've never made a decision to follow Jesus. I, I never really knew it could be that good. I didn't realize that, that, that God really wanted relationship with me. I, I heard some stories that he was angry and upset, and so he had to send Jesus so he could be okay with me. But I didn't realize that he always had love for me. And the sacrifice of the cross was his self-sacrificing love for me, allowing humanity to put God to death. But in the resurrection... There were two things that God was telling us. First of all, a big no to how the world was operating, but a big yes to us saying, you are worthy, I love you, I desire you to be back in my family. If you're here this morning and say, I want to make the decision for Jesus, I want to say yes, just simply raise your hand. I believe when we raise our hand, it's just an outward expression of an inward happening in our soul where we're believing and we're receiving. I thank you, Father, for every person here this morning, those who have made the decision this morning, those who have made that in the past, that we would continually awaken to our right relationship with you. We would see who we truly are in and through Christ and that the blueprint, the purpose has never changed. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, we pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.